Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Susan Castrava, editor-in-chief of Wine Enthusiast. Susan has over 20 years of experience in magazine and newspaper publishing. She currently oversees all editorial direction of Wine Enthusiast Media, in addition to the global tasting programs. During her tenure at Wine Enthusiast, Susan has led a complete redesign of the print magazine, website, and expansion of the editorial and tastings teams on the West Coast, Europe, and beyond. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been with Wine Enthusiast for 15 years and became editor-in-chief in 2019. So tell us about the magazine, your audience, and what the magazine covers. Um, well, so I have been with the magazine for 15 years, the magazine brand, and it has changed so much over the years as I've been involved. Uh, I think it's evolved with the wine audience. Uh, I think, you know, it started as more of a sort of trade magazine uh, and, and, you know, smaller audience, a little more targeted again to people in the trade. And, and as the wine culture grew into more of a mainstream consumer interest, so did we. We followed that, that interest. So, so today, uh, you know, we, we are consumer brand first, but we are absolutely very intertwined with the trade and, and definitely recognize, you know, our importance in, in that dialogue. So uh, our audience is international. Most of our readers are, are based in the U.S. That's the bulk of our readership. But we have readers from all over the world. And of course, the digital brand has brought so many more of those people in. So and then as far as coverage, you know, just very quick uh, coverage is, of course, wine, but we also cover wine lifestyle. So we cover wine, you know, wine stories, producers, but we also cover other topics through the wine lens of so wine travel, food and wine, um, you know, so many different things, art and wine, culture and wine, all those things. So we've evolved a lot over the years to kind of be a broader sort of broader content um, draw, hopefully. You know, but given the name of the magazine, a lot of people probably think that Wine Enthusiast strictly covers wine. So how did you all come to also cover spirits and beer? Well, actually, uh, our coverage of spirits goes back at pre it actually predates me. Um, you know, I think uh, what we recognize and then beer sort of came a bit later. We recognize that people who love wine have all these adjacent interests. So they t we call it the cross drinker. So, you know, it's not always a direct correlation, but, you know, generally people who are who love great wine, love great beer. They're interested in spirits. Like I said, we even go beyond that into culture and art. And there's just a certain mindset that uh, that embraces these things. So we recognized that, um, you know, wine lovers are pretty diverse and interesting and complex people. And 
you know, spirits and beer is definitely a passion of theirs as well. So that's why we brought it in. So now let's talk about you. So could you explain to our listeners what an editor-in-chief does and also how has your role evolved with the pandemic? Well, my role, I, I sometimes I think of myself almost like a conductor or, you know, an orchestrator because I, you know, I think this is true of many people in the position that I'm in. We kind of, we bridge a lot of divisions. So especially in our company, wine enthusiast companies, we're not just a media division, but we actually also have a, an e-commerce and commerce, you know, element of our business, um, which is the catalog. And, uh, you know, we have other, other businesses as well. And so I kind of help to bridge between all those divisions. I sort of speak on behalf of, of the content that we create in the media group. Uh, but even within my group, so we have tasting and an art department. We have, uh, again, editorial department. I sort of orchestrate all of, all of the, the dialogues between those groups and make sure that we're, you know, rowing in the same direction. Um, not so much always on the day-to-day -day, uh, level. Our managing editor, Lauren Bazio, handles a lot of that, as do some of my other managers. But just making sure that we're on the same page as far as the direction of our content, the, the audience we're trying to attract, our tone, our language. Uh, I'm kind of the one who keeps everybody talking and, like I say, rowing in the same directions. And then, you know, I, I think it's an interesting question how my role has evolved during the pandemic. I mean, I would say when I took on the editor-in-chief title, um, you know, we talked a lot about how important it was to be out in the market. So, again, having a person like myself out in the market talking to the industry, talking to consumers, um, speaking to not only the brand, but just what's happening in the wine industry and in the media. And uh, so I was doing a lot of that. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, all that stopped. Doesn't mean I'm not doing virtual work, which I am. So I'm still, you know, I'm still doing things like this and I'm still you know, doing tastings and things. But uh, really it was just spending a lot of time with the editorial team, figuring out like how do we best support the industry and our reader during this very different time. So just the, the overused word in right now is pivoting, but it's truly been a big part of what I and our, my team has been doing. We're just constantly kind of, you know, reacting and trying to be proactive, but also reacting to this very changeable and dynamic situation. So I would say my role has, has, I'm still doing long-term planning and strategy, but I'm doing a lot more of sort of short-term pivoting and, and just, again, trying to react to what's happening. And, and uh, so it's changed a little. The scope of my, of my direction is a little shorter than it was before, and maybe that'll change. But uh, so, yeah, living more in the moment, I suppose. Just like all of us. Aren't we yeah, all? Yeah. As for the magazine, um, how far in advance do you work? Uh, for example, what issue are you working on now and what is driving this timeline? So we have our print publication, which, uh, you know, we are actually closing our April issue right now this week, uh, but we've already assigned through June. So we're working pretty far in advance, you know, three to four months at least, uh, because obviously there's the whole process, which is, the, you know, the assigning the back and forth with the writer, the circulation of the article among the editors, the artwork, uh, you know, all of that, and then submitting to the printer and then the time it takes for the printer to put the book together and all that. So so that's a longer timeline. Um, the digital content that we create uh, that varies. So, you know, that could be a couple of weeks to a month on a longer lead piece, which might be something seasonal, 
or just again a, an evergreen topic that we know we you know we need to cover, we want to cover. Um, but with with more breaking news or more trends driven pieces online, sometimes that's you know we can turn something around within a week or a couple of days. So it just sort of depends on what the story is and and kind of how timely or how time sensitive it is uh, to run. Okay. Well, speaking of timely subjects, uh, congratulations on recently hosting the Wine Star Awards. Thank you. You're welcome. You also celebrate a lot of folks in our industry, like the 40 Under 40 Tastemakers and America's 50 Best Wine Retailers. So what's the process for spotlighting these luminaries? Well, the process is somewhat organic because, you know, again, I mentioned all of the uh, full-time and the contributing editors that work with wine enthusiasts. And then, of course, the roster freelancers, you know, that sort of rolling roster we work with. And, and they're kind of all of these people are our eyes and ears, um, you know, throughout the year. They're interacting with uh, people in the industry, whether it's in the restaurant space or again in the sort of 40 under 40, these younger industry sort of trailblazers. These are the stories they're telling throughout the year, the people they're interacting with throughout the year. So what happens is we just generally, uh, we talk throughout the year, we keep a running file. Like this person is amazing. I just interviewed, you know, <clears throat> this person and you know she's doing such amazing things let's let's consider her we keep a running sort of file and, and dialogue going throughout the year on on people that we want to keep an eye on and then same for the again for like you know uh restaurants especially during covid who are doing something above and beyond uh to accommodate you know their customers or helping each other or the funds that are happening so we keep we we just keep talking throughout the year we keep sort of a running file of all this and then when it gets to closer to the time where we need to, um, you know, sort of uh, commit to a list, then we meet as a group. Uh, all the editors meet. We have a back and forth. We just talk through what people are working on and we make decisions based on that. And, and to be honest, uh, there's so many people, you know, 40 under 40 specifically. I'm so happy to say there's just so many young people in the space right now doing amazing things. That's a hard list to call. You know, we always kind of, wish we had, you know, more space. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's a great problem to have. It's, it's a good thing for our industry that that's, that's happening. 100%. So what kind of innovation overall do you see in the wine, spirits, and beer industries? Um, I mean, from, again, from a, an information and education standpoint, I think just what's been happening in the sort of virtual space with, you know, the online tastings, events, you know, you mentioned WineStar, which uh, is our annual uh, industry awards uh, event. We, like many others, had to figure out how to keep that brand and that story going in the midst of a, of a remote culture and environment. Uh, and I'm just seeing a lot of innovation there. People are just trying to recreate or even remake the whole dialogue and, you know, interaction of how wine, wine is, is enjoyed in the virtual space. So uh, it, podcasts, of course, like yourselves, you know, people are launching these different means of communicating uh, that, uh, that I, I think are going to live far beyond the pandemic. I mean, once we're all sort of back in person, it's wonderful, but these are all really great ways to, to share this information and, and, and be together. Uh, so I think it's going to be nice to see what happens after things kind of get a little quieter and back to normal. I think you're going to have an embarrassment of riches in ways that you can, 
you can consume media and you can consume uh, educations. So how would you say the editorial coverage at Wine Enthusiast has changed over the past year to reflect what was happening, you know, in the pandemic vis-a-vis the industry? You know, what, what kinds of stories did you see resonate the most? Well, I think for sure, uh, industry stories. So, um, you know, we have a um, and, and a section of our website on Wine Mag, which is called uh, BIE, which is Beverage Industry Enthusiast. And that really has been a little more focused on industry news, um, you know, sort of harder, harder wine, spirits and beer news, um, talking about people in the industry who are doing great things. And, and you know, I think previously that was something that was more accessed by, by our trade readers. But what we found is, you know, a great story, regardless of what you call it, if it's good, people will read it, whether it's industry or consumer. So our editors, you know, came in and basically recognized like, okay, there are breaking news and industry news stories during this pandemic that are interesting, not only to the trade and the industry, but to wine readers, Uh, you know. You're talking about uh, service, you know, in-person service, uh, you know, at a restaurant during the pandemic. How have retail spaces changed during the pandemic? Um, you know, again, how are people in the industry supporting one another during, you know, via various funds and, and you know, sort of, I, I think just in general, news, industry news became a much bigger play and part of, of what people were accessing from us. And we knew that we needed to do it, but it also the result in our traffic showed that that's what people wanted from us. So, so that was definitely a change. Um, you know, I think also we had to rethink how we handle topics like travel. Because tra- travel is a big part, you know, again, an adjacent interest uh, of our reader. And we recognized early on, I mean, we have things like a top 10 travel list, a wine travel list that we usually run. Uh, and we, we typically run these monthly destination pieces in print that are all about going to this place. So again, what we found is people still want to dream about travel. They still want to dream about all of these amazing places, but it's really more of an armchair sort of approach. You know, you, you brought up the subject of travel and uh, wine journalism traditionally involves a lot of travel, visiting wineries. So how has the magazine dealt with all the travel restrictions caused by the pandemic? Well, it's a couple of things. I had some interesting conversations with the, especially the tasting team uh, when all this started, because it was sort of like, how do we stay current and fresh and in the know when we're not quite as as connected maybe as, as we might have been in past? Well, that all changed, obviously, I think, as everyone sort of transitioned into the into the virtual space a little more. So uh, so on the staff side, it's been just reaching out to producers and doing tastings on Zoom. But on the readership side, again, it's it's really great that all of these you know innovations are happening in the podcast space, in the virtual tasting space, in the virtual event space. It's either we are trying to create our own, and we do have a podcast as well, uh, which you know we we've we are trying to maintain that dialogue regardless of whether. Uh, you know, we can either be in person with our readers or whether our readers can travel, they're able to sort of still learn about wine through the virtual tastings, the virtual events and the podcasts. It's hopefully it's it's keeping them engaged and excited and interested. And so when the travel restrictions do eased, they can they can sort of be excited about where they're going next. 
Looking ahead, what will be the magazine's editorial focus? Um, I think we'll, you know, we'll continue to do some of the things that we've been doing, which have worked.、Um, I think we will be focusing a little bit more on that 101 education aspect.、Uh, you know, we're going to be relaunching、uh, our sort of、uh, 101 basics content、uh, relatively soon. And we just recognize that there's more we could be doing in that space, and that definitely、uh, we have a lot of new wine drinkers who who are coming to us for that.、Um, I think I mentioned earlier just broadening our、uh, freelancer base, broadening our、uh, our you know the the voice of who wine enthusiast is, and you know becoming a more diverse and inclusive media brand and. And that's been su- super important to us. And again, I really have to commend the editorial team for just building these these better and broader relationships. So again, I think just continuing this sort of service oriented industry news, but、uh, that also attracts and interests a consumer base. Well, speaking about including more voices, you know, for our listeners who want to pitch the magazine, what do you think are the three things they should keep in mind, and how specifically should they reach out? Um, I think one of the very, very simple and basic.、Uh, I think that I think it's a basic thing that you should be thinking about as a freelancer is、uh, you need to be reading the publication. So before you pitch a story, spend some time on the website. If you're not subscribing to the public print publication and you really do want to write for us, you should subscribe to the publication and spend time seeing what what is being covered. But really look at what. Isn't being said, or how your voice, your perspective, or your expertise might add to something that、uh, you know isn't being covered. I I always say, look for the deficit and fill it. Make it hard for the editor to say no because they didn't know they needed it until you told them you needed it.、Um, you know, I think also it's just coming up with a unique point of view, a unique perspective, not retreading the same ground that that might have been already worked on. Uh, as far as pitching goes, I mean, we have an editor at WineEnthusiast.net email that, believe it or not, I know it sounds very general, but we check it regularly. So if you don't already have a relationship with an editor, feel free to pitch that email, and、uh, we will check it. And like I said, I I think just the efforts that have been made over the last several years of the editorial team in finding new voices and seeking new voices. Means that you have a very good chance if you've got a good pitch and you've got some expertise, you actually have a very good chance of landing something if it's you know if the timing is right. Very encouraging. Yeah, I think that tips is not only for the freelance writers but also for our industry friends like bartenders or you know sommeliers, all of people who are in our industry who want to pitch their story because they are such experts in a particular subject. I think. Your insights and tips definitely can apply to them as well. Absolutely, I'm always always really pr- pleased to see people who are brave and and pitch themselves and say, you know what?、Uh, some of them, of course, have have PR partners they work with, but in some cases, they'll just say, you know,、uh, I actually am doing some pretty cool things. You guys should know about.、Uh, you know, can I can I tell you about it? Even if it's just an email or an outreach, I mean, it's. Don't assume that、uh, you know. We always know. We we do the best we can to cover and know what everyone's working on. But we also are open to tell you telling us, "Hey, I'd love for you to know a little more about me." And and、uh, you know that's that's part of that dialogue. So if you have something you want to tell us, tell us. Great. So we call our podcast. 
hospitality forward because we believe in our industry. So in your opinion, can you tell us if there is anyone or any organization that is doing something really special and is moving hospitality forward? Uh, I have to to mention a couple of the partner uh, organizations that we've been working with recently, and one is Diversity in Wine and Spirits. Uh, you know, we uh, we've been working with them on how can we, as an organization and then as a media group, help to broaden the understanding of diversifying wine. Uh, and I just think they're doing amazing work. They had a, a, a great job fair called a, a Be the Change job fair recently. They have another one coming up in April, which is all all um, you know in support of a more diverse workforce and just connecting that workforce to organizations in the industry. So have to call them out. Um, another organization that I think uh, has been really uh, important is the Association of African American Vintners. This is another group that we've partnered with uh, and. We, we have a few events. We've done one virtual event or we've helped uh, support one of their virtual events and we'll be doing more in the future. But this is an organization based in California that is uh, supportive of just educating and connecting people of color, uh, BIPOC people in the industry uh, with better education and wine, jobs, uh, opportunities, et cetera. So, um, you know, so many, so many great organizations in the restaurant space, in in the di- uh, diversity and inclusion space, in the, you know, uh, gender space. I think too many to mention, but those are just a few that, that I think are doing a great job. And now for the listener question segment of our show, we have a question from Aaron Thompson and Jessica Abbott of Sapphire in Knoxville, Tennessee. And this duo is opening a bar and a restaurant uh, in the coming months, focusing on aperitivos and Italian cuisine. They'd like to know what consumer behaviors or culture shifts do you see emerging from the pandemic for bars and restaurants? What's been really exciting to see is that the wine and food connoisseur and lover is still still interested regardless of the restrictions that have happened. They're still very interested in supporting their local businesses. So. Uh, what they want to see is that you are creating a safe space for them, uh, whether that's outdoor dining or uh, some type of takeout service. And we've seen an incredible support of restaurants from our readers in, again, takeout and, uh, you know, whether even takeout cocktails. It's been interesting seeing like some of the bars that are doing these great and innovative sort of and very safe uh, ways of enjoying uh, drinks. So I think just you know, making sure that people feel safe, making sure that your customers know that you're putting their health first, but at the same time, uh, continuing to create, you know, interesting dishes or, or point of view through the, through the cocktails or the wine list. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's just kind of navigating the, the current environment and recognizing that they're there to support you and that there's still a passion, regardless of whether uh, it's changed in, in in the way that it's portrayed. So do you think more casual dining experience will be more popular in coming months or year? It's an interesting question. I, I It would make sense, I think, just given the sort of way in which the restaurant space has had to adapt, again, with the outdoor dining, and it is a more casual environment. But then there's a part of me that wonders when people can kind of go back into restaurants safely 
having not been able to enjoy some of that service and that pampering that they, that they might have enjoyed. I think there's going to be a place for both. I think there will be a place for that casual dining, which is kind of honestly the direction that the dining culture in the U.S. has gone towards over time anyway. Um, but I, I do wonder if having not been able to spend as much time with that service and, and pampering that they've had, if people won't kind of say, oh, I really want, you know, now that I'm back, I really want to be able to go somewhere very high end and, and, and have have that experience that I maybe haven't had, you know, for a while. I, I think people are dreaming about it, frankly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, once you feel safe traveling again, which country will you visit first and why? I, that's a very good question. And I think like many, I spend a lot of time daydreaming and thinking about that. Uh, I actually had started to sort of cook up a, a trip before the pandemic uh, hit, and it was to the Amalfi Coast. So I haven't, I actually spend, you know, a fair amount of time in Italy, but it's typically I'm working, it's for, you know, obviously been Italy trade show or some different, different events. And uh, I haven't been back to Italy just to enjoy vacation and do some tasting in a long time. So my husband and I were really looking forward to that. And uh, so I do think Campania, the Amalfi Coast, I've really not spent much time in that part of, of Italy. So, and I'm also, I love history and, and interested in uh, visiting Pompeii and some of the, the sites in that area. So uh, I have a feeling, even though there are other contenders, that one's kind of at the top of my list right now. Anything Italy is so beautiful. <laughs> it is. I think for a wine and food lover, again, there's so many wonderful places in the world especially, you know, it just increasing numbers of, of great destinations for wine. But Italy is one of those no brainer locations that if you're if you love wine and food, it's just it's very hard to have a, diff, a bad time in Italy if you're if you love these things. Exactly. Exactly. It's a dream destination. It truly is. Susan, it's been so great talking to you. And so lovely to spend time with you and even via Zoom. Um, it's just so good to see your face and uh, so nice to chat with you. You too. And I just have to throw in one uh, final pitch, which is please go to our website, which is winemag.com. And you will find all this content that I've been talking about. You will also find our podcast there. And, uh, you know, we really uh, just want to keep that dialogue going with, with our readers. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you. It for was our journey. pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Susan is such a pro in all things drinks related. Now I want to go to Italy. Now that you know what Wine Enthusiast covers... Please feel free to pitch the team your story ideas that you think would be of interest. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.